The Pac-12 has officially canceled all sports until May 31st. We all knew that this was going to happen. No spring games. That's what that means. The scheme is finally coming out on HBO, where the FBI was talking about looking into the college basketball pay-for-play scandal, which we have so many thoughts about. And we have an interview with the director, Pat Condolis. We have him. Uh, Remy Martin, he turns pro and Washington loses a legend. And finally, the NCAA does the right thing. I mean, sort of, but they can still get it wrong. I'm George Reister with Ralph Amson, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. We appreciate your time, appreciate your energy. Thank you for listening. Please make sure that you share the free, share the feed, tell a friend about the Pac-12 Apostles. And if you want to contact us, you can hit us up on Twitter at Ralph Amsden or at George Reister or at Pac-12 Apostles. Or you can send us an email. I'm mad. I-M-M-A-D at unafraidshow.com. Ralph, the NCAA finally did the right thing they granted seniors who played spring sports like baseball lacrosse softball track and field an extra year of eligibility for next year and this was the right thing to do however the devil's always in the details so the schools don't have to offer the same amount of aid to the kids as last year it's up to each individual school so that brings up scholarship counts and how they're going to handle that so the ncaa did the right thing but they can still screw it up where do you stand on this ralph oh they passed the buck they passed the buck to the schools and so the schools can be the bad guy when and and they they never hesitate to do so when they come in and say hey you know we're paying a third of your tuition if you want to stay now it's going to be an eighth is we got to open that up for an incoming freshman. You know, they they could have bumped the allotted amount that that every team was was allowed to do, um, but they didn't. You know, and they they put it back in the hands of schools. And some schools will do things the right way, and I think they deserve praise for that. And uh, and some schools will will treat this very much like a business, the way that they always have. And won't think twice about it. And I think that, you know, media entities out there covering some of these things, if the players are brave enough to speak up and speak out on some of these things, then then I think the program should have to answer some questions about their thinking and what they're doing. Because these a lot of these, not all of them, but a lot of them are public institutions. And the stuff that they're tossing around, you know, is mixed in with some taxpayer money and, uh, and, and, you know, schools are still subjected to uh, FOIA requests and things like that. And they should be as forthcoming as, as possible about some of the stuff that they're doing and why hopefully we can just, you know, rely on the, the humanity of some of the folks involved here. And, uh, you know, they go about doing the right thing. But I will say that if someone just is in a Matt Leinart situation where they just have ballroom dancing, then then maybe they don't need a full ride. Uh, so hopefully people's needs are being met because that's really what this is about. If you're going to go this far out onto a limb for people, you should make sure that you you go out on that limb to make sure their needs are met. You don't go out that, on that limb for the for the good publicity that's 
involved with it because there hopefully there will be no good publicity if this just ends up being another uh, instance of this is a, a a business except for the people who are on the business end type deal. Oh yeah, yeah they they can one hundred percent screw screw this up by messing up scholarship counts and then schools who don't if there's a player who's not you know in favor or in good graces with the coaches or administration, even though that they may be eligible, if they've already graduated, they may say, yeah, you can come back and, and play, but you got to pay your own way. I mean, it, it it can get real tricky. And so the, the NCAA did pass the buck. And now we're going to see what they say about scholarship counts, but they will not be granting eligibility on extra eligibility on winter sports which I really don't see a problem with only because basketball was done for some teams already. Yes, there were teams that were going to the tournament for those 68 teams and the same with the the uh, women. And you had some other winter sports who were going like hockey who were going to the playoffs. But, you know, like they played the whole entire season. It's almost like your team just didn't make the tournament. And it sucks. Granted, it sucks because – I wanted to see Sabrina Ionescu. It felt right that she would win a championship. Like this year's just sucked because ever since Kobe died, like things, I was like, okay, the Lakers have to win a championship. Ducks have to win a championship. Sabrina, like this is all this stuff is adding up. And now we may not have a whole season, dude. This is incredible. Yeah, and you know, you you invoke the name of of Kobe Bryant and all this, and you know the way that he was living his next chapter. I think it it can still serve as motivation for how people are living their lives um, without sports, right? And I know that you and I are both trying to use this time to uh, to our advantage to get closer with uh, with our families. Not that we weren't before, but I mean they are physically closer, and so. You know, you you might as well gauge what's going on with them and check in with them and spend as much quality time as them uh, with them as you can, and that that's where my focus is right now. You know, outside of this podcast, and this is a show I'm super excited for, especially after watching the the oh man, the scheme is such a good movie. But um, I I I will say that that most of my energy has just been um, focused inward because there's not a lot out there that you can control. Today, the uh, the Arizona governor shut down uh, schools for the rest of the school year. So my kids are out for the next four months, you know, and I, I'm thinking about a lot of the, the class of 2020. You know, all these kids are not going to have prom. They're not going to have uh, a graduation. You know, they're not going to have yeah. their spring sports. And I think it it definitely matters more for some of these high school kids that are never going to go on to play college. They don't get any extra eligibility or anything like that. And it makes for a really interesting generation. And then also I've been a teacher, man. And, and that's a, that's a, not a very glamorous gig. And the best part about it is seeing other people's kids show up in front of you every single day and being able to navigate their life situations and help out any way you can while also imparting some knowledge to them that will maybe be beneficial in the future. Now all these teachers have to do that job without the only good part of it, which is hanging out with kids. And so, you know, I'm, I'm definitely feeling for a lot of people today, but it's going to continue to be like this. It's going to continue to be tight and everyone just kind of got to pull together and hopefully, you know, we can do our little part with this show and, and entertaining some people and taking their minds off it. I know talking about it isn't, uh, isn't the best way of getting people's minds off of it, but I mean, you know, some things you got to work through yeah. instead of avoid. 
Well, here's one one thing the Pac-12 did that I didn't like with the where it shut down all the activities. So it it also said that their schools can't have any type of organized team activities of any type. That means that it won't allow in-person meetings, which, okay, that makes sense. And it says that virtual workouts supervised by a coach are not permitted either. Like, how are you supposed to keep these dudes in shape to make it to if football is going to be around? And then you said, and then you had um, UCLA canceled their spring game. Everybody else already knows that it's not happening. Kirk Herbstreet just a few days ago said he'd be shocked if there was a season next year. He said he'll be so surprised if it happens. He said, I don't know how you let these guys go into locker rooms and let stadiums be filled up and how you can play ball. I just don't know how you can do it with the optics of it. I just think that it is pretty much impossible. I mean, well, right now it feels impossible. Granted, there's a lot that can happen in between now and then. Like the NBA is looking for options where they may like put teams, whole teams in in hotels, test them every day, play their season out in quarantine, basically, where everybody's in the same place, getting tested every day, everybody's quarantined. And the way you can keep anybody, if they get sick, meals are delivered, everything. So I think that that's definitely an option. Uh, But yeah, it's it's a. I don't know what the hell is going on, but I would agree with you. I am enjoying this time with my family and I kind of feel guilty about being, you know, happy, happy, go lucky and super excited about this time on Twitter. Yeah, I, I'm with you 100 percent. Like I, I, I was talking to somebody today and I just I was like, you know, I'm I'm kind of enjoying I'm I'm very sad and scared and worried for a lot of people. But I just man, I enjoy my family. And, uh, and I, I like having them around and, um, and I, I don't, I'm, you know, I, I don't feel guilty about that, but I do, you know, I know that I'm enjoying it while some other people are definitely out there suffering and struggling with some major anxiety. And, you know, I, I feel for those people. I absolutely do. And, and that could easily be us, you know, oh, yeah. a couple of days from now, but I, as far as it goes right now, you know, I think the best thing that you can do is realize that if, if you have things in your life that can be taken away, then you have to make sure your identity is not in those things. You know, <laughs> I left my, uh, I, I, there's the, if you Google Mercedes and Dr. Pepper, a news story comes up where my car was stolen because I left my keys in it and went inside a circle K to get a Dr. Pepper. And the guy that took my car ended up in a shootout with the police. And it was like a huge major weird story. Um, but you know, I, I, I lost everything. I, my, my camera equipment, everything that I used to do my job, all of it was in my car. And also, yeah, my car was kind of important too. And it was just right in that moment. It was like, okay, well, all my stuff is gone. My ability to do my job is gone, but my identity was not in those things. And so, yep. you know, I got robbed, but I didn't get robbed. Like nothing was missing yeah. from from who I am. And in this moment, that's that's what I'm trying to remind people of. Is like, hey, you know, there's some things that might get taken away from you in this process, but your job's not in your identity. Your job's not in your school. Your job's not in your sports team uh, or your, not your job, but your, your identity's not in any of those things. Your identity is, is in, you know, your relationships and, uh, and, and in your health. And so, you know, work on your health, whether that's mental or physical or spiritual or whatever, and work on your relationships because that's who you are. 
Um, and you don't, you know, you don't need things. You know, I did a puzzle for the first time in, in 20 years and I, I hope to not do another one for 20 years, uh, but I did it <laughs> for I, sure. Yeah, I did it with my family and it was a good time. I mean, it was that there, there was no difference in the joy that I experienced doing that puzzle with my family than the times that I've spent at Disneyland with them, you know? Yeah. And, that now that has been amazing to see as well. Like just the, the fact that you can, that w- we thought we had to go on vacation to have all these experiences, but we're actually being able to have them home and disconnect at home. Like that's dope. And it is, it is privilege. Like, right. Like yeah. we, we have the privilege of having, you know, there's some people that are alone right now and, and they're probably pretty anxious and scared. And I definitely, I definitely feel for those people, but I'm for sure. I mean, I've, I've, I have enjoyed the time with my family. It's been cool. I, I, you, you and I check in every couple of days to make sure like the, the mental health is all there and everything. And, and, uh, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. And so you just, you, you have no choice but to cling to those things that matter. Yep. A hundred percent. And one of the things that matters, everybody knows I'm an Oregon guy, but we do like to pay homage to like, at the end of the day, this is just sports and yes, it affects people's lives, but the, but the humans are more important. So we want to give a shout out to former PAC 12 coach, who passed away his name is Jim Lambright he was a he was a dirty rotten scoundrel of a uh, husky but he was um he was an assistant there from 1969 to 1977 he's beloved around the program he was the defensive coordinator from 78 to 92 and then the head coach from 93 to 98 um yeah, so he had a 636 coaching record. Um, yeah, he got there. He His last year was the year that I showed up at, was the year before I showed up at Oregon. So, yeah, dude, he had, he was with them during their sort of national championship. He was there with them through the good times, so we want to honor him in that. He's a man of a just a completely different era. You know, we, we, we talk about, you know, I taught, know Todd Graham got in trouble for calling assistant coaches mercenaries, but that's essentially what they are. You know, there's so much money in this right now that everybody is very focused on what they can do for themselves and how they can better their situation right now. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Not, not at all. I'm not criticizing that, but there is something just sort of romantic about that era when you could spend what was essentially a lifetime um, with one team. And he, he was on the sidelines coaching for the university of Washington for 30 consecutive seasons. And that's after he played defensive end there from 1962 to 1964. And he grew up in Everett, Washington. Like that's not that far away from Seattle. Right. So like, I think it's a suburb if I'm not mistaken. And so, you know, he, he, came up in Washington. He played for Washington. He coached high school ball in Washington. Um, and then he coached at university of Washington for 30 seasons. It, it doesn't get, uh, much more Husky purple than, than that. And, uh, you know, I know some people in that community are, are hurting right now. And how weird is it that we're in a situation where it's going to be frowned upon for people to go out and just pay their respects, you know? Um, so it's, it's, it's definitely a weird time. And I, I, I don't want it to be overshadowed that he's an enormous part of, of university of Washington's identity and a huge part of their history. Um, and, uh, and yeah, he'll, he'll be missed. 
Yep. Um, it, we schools are also. I've noticed a trend uh, to to move on to the next subject. I've noticed a trend with um, college basketball players this year. It seems like there are more players declaring for the draft in light of this Corona situ- situation. I'm wondering if it's going to have an impact because truthfully, there's only 60 people drafted in the NBA every year, 60, yeah, two rounds. And we've seen Oregon players continuously come out <laughs> inexplicably and go in the second round or go undrafted. And like good players, like guys who would have been first round draft picks the next year. And yes, the kid in uh, Tyler Dorsey's had a little bit of success. The kid in uh, Memphis, the kid from Canada. Um, oh Lord, um, yeah. Anyways, so the, some some of them have had success, but it's always frustrating to me when you see guys come out early and you're just like, oh no, like the like the Moses kid from UCLA last year. He's like, what are you doing? You couldn't even dominate in college. Like what? Are, what are we doing here? But um, colleges are also having to deal with people leaving, and then their seniors not having the exit that they thought they would have. Like Oregon with Peyton Peyton Pritchard, and now at Arizona State, we find out that they're going to lose Remy Martin to the NBA draft. What's your take on that, Ralph? Because I know that you cover him and see them a lot. Yeah, I mean, this is two years in a row that that Arizona State fans are. Um kind of floored by the early exit of one of their players. Last year, Lou Dort um, had a couple of people, I think, project him as a late first-round pick, and he ended up going undrafted. Uh, And then you had a lot of people come out of the woodworks to say, I told you so. Meanwhile, uh, he found a way to, despite being undrafted, start 21 games this year for the Thunder. So he, he ended up getting it figured out, and he's in that situation where he's not locked into a five-year deal because of it. So. You know, if he continues playing the way that he he's playing defensively um, on an NBA roster, assuming the NBA continues to be a thing, um, you know, then then you know he'll definitely be able to cash in. So you never know if it if it's the decision of a teammate or or what. You know, Remy Martin's an interesting guy because he's got a huge following. Um, Filipino basketball fans are some of the most like dedicated and fanatic people out there. And, and, and I think that that's, you know, with that being part of his heritage, he's got a really, really big following out there. Um, and he's somebody who kind of just quietly goes about his business. He's not super interested in social media. Uh, he, he loves to find ways to give back. I think he's done a lot to send uh, shoes to the Philippines. There's a bunch of different articles about out there about the different types of uh, NCAA allowable philanthropy that he uh, was involved with before coming to ASU and since. Um, and I think that, you know, he would have been a favorite to possibly win Pac-12 Player of the Year next year. Um, and, uh, and so that there's a little bit of surprise there. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there that don't think he's ready for the NBA. I don't think it matters. He's going to be, he's a dog. He's an effort guy. Uh, he's a lot of fun to watch. And I think that he'll be a fan favorite no matter where he ends up. And I think he's got the kind of personality where he'd be okay playing internationally. Um, and just giving it his all for wherever he goes and you using it to build his life experience and, and life's adventures and, and everything like that. He's, he's just that kind of guy. 
And so, you know, I know that there are some rules in place right now that allow for players to test the waters and come back. So there's a sliver of hope for ASU fans that Remy Martin returns. Um, yeah, but, but you can't put the post out like that if you're testing the water. I think, yeah, yeah, that's a pretty definitive post. Like when you post it, all right, I'm out, guys. And then sometimes it takes too much humble pie for guys to eat, eat to come, come back, which yeah. I think is the. The thing that you have to be willing to do is say, all right, look, look, this ain't the best move for, for me. I put my name out there. I'm coming back. That And it's no no shame, but I think sometimes people let that shame lay on them and wear on them. Yeah, and I think, you know, and and, and, and ASU fans, you know, they, they didn't handle this news very well. Not only do they not think he's ready, um, they're worried that, it, that, that Bobby Hurley could take an opportunity elsewhere without his point guard. Meanwhile, I'm back here like, okay, so here we go. We're going to play Alonzo Verge 40 minutes a game and see what that dude can do. Because that he, he to me – He's number most, two, right? Yeah, he's I the like guy with him. the ridiculous oh, crossover off the bench. Yeah, so he I, – I put him in. Play him. Like play him 40 minutes. Let him run the point. He can, he can do it. He's built and, like Jim Jackson. Like he's yeah. strong, yeah. physical. I like him, dude. He's yeah. he looks like an NBA guy to me. And so I, I just say, I say, run it, run it through him, and I think that you'll be able to salvage some stuff. And they got Eddie House's kid backing him up. Um, they could play a little bit of defense and gives you some energy off the bench. I think they'll be fine. I think every college basketball fan is devastated year over year through the players that leave early. I know you, you as somebody who follows Oregon, and I think we even talked about this um, on one of our first podcasts. So just some of the people leaving Oregon, you know, that, that maybe shouldn't have. Um, but I, I think that every fan outside of being a Kentucky fan gets sick of it um, because they, you know, they, they want those players to stick around as long as possible, especially if they're not a one and done. I think that's the thing that kind of took some of the, um, ASU fans uh, um, by surprise, and uh, they're they're thinking back on you know a lot of players leaving after three years and not necessarily being ready for the NBA, whether that's Ike Diagu or Jahi Carson. Um, but it worked out for for Lou Dort and it worked for James Harden. And so you know when, when you're when you feel like you're ready, you got to go ahead and take that chance. Yeah, and I, I get it because I was a kid who who left school early. So I I get it, but you also have to, you know, make sure that you're putting yourself in the best possible situation. Yeah. And and you don't know, but you do have to take the advice of people who are in the know because it's a big difference in being in basketball, a second round draft pick than a first round draft pick. You have not, you don't have a guaranteed contract. It's just like if you're going to be in the, NFL draft and you're not coming out and you're not going to be a if you're a kid who's coming out as, as a junior and you're not you have no possibility of being a first round draft pick and you're probably and you're maybe possibly be a second round you're probably a third round then you should stay in school because you could be a first round draft pick yeah. but like yeah because there's so much money at stake and then there's the opportunity because first round draft picks stay in the league on average way longer because the teams have so much money and hope wrapped up into them that you get more opportunities. So like, you don't want to be a seventh round draft pick because that, that rope is short, buddy. You are one pulled hamstring away from getting cut. Yeah. And Remy, Remy, I just, I just see him as somebody who, if he doesn't get drafted and he doesn't, you know, I I think he'll have, 
Yeah, and I think he'll be fine. I, I don't I don't think it matters for him ultimately where he plays basketball as long as he's being given the opportunity to earn a living because he's one of those like you're blessed to bless others, right? So he's yeah, he's one of those people that's gonna use whatever means and resources that he gets to immediately turn around and invest in other people. My hope is that that comes with a hundred million dollar NBA contract someday. But it, it you know, in all likelihood it probably won't. That only happens for a few people here and there. And so, you know, I, I think that he's gonna be somebody who's he's just gonna land on his feet. And so maybe that's it. Maybe maybe it's that he feels done with college like just as a as a person because he came in more mature than everybody else around him and you know four years in school for a point guard usually that fourth year that's when they go off right that's that Steve Nash year but you know it it does it doesn't necessarily mean um that you won't that you won't find a way to go out there and 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 uh and get an opportunity um it's just you know it's it's tough because there's already people out there tweeting that he's not a top 60 player um, and everybody, that's really a decision that everybody has to weigh, weigh themselves. And I, I don't, yep. I don't blame him, but I do get some of the, the sadness and frustration of ASU fans because that was their, you know, that was their favorite guy. Yeah. But that's also living from a fandom place of lack when you're, when you're like our best players leaving, that means you don't feel very confident in what is left in the cupboard behind him. Uh, but Ralph, it is, it is time. I know you've been waiting. I know you've been just stewing on this all day. So I was able to get us advanced screening for the scheme on HBO. The scheme on HBO is a documentary about Christian Dawkins, the guy who was at the center of the FBI probe into the underbelly of college basketball. It was supposed to the, New York Southern District said they were going to blow the lid off it, that they had the playbook, that they were going to indict all these coaches. Everything was coming down because this pay-for-play scandal was defrauding schools. It was There were so many victims in this. Christian Dawkins was just a user and abuser of these high school players. And then we see the documentary and we, well, actually first we saw no college coaches get fired besides Rick Patino, and that was questionable. We saw, uh, we didn't hear. We only heard Sean Miller and um, and the LSU Will coach Wade. Will, yeah. yeah, Will Wade on tape. Like nothing came of it. Nothing. Like they weren't allowed to be subpoenaed. Anything, and you actually had millions of dollars uh, trade trade hands. You had FBI man hours. All of this stuff. To, to give six and nine month prison sentences for a victimless crime. So, so let's 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 first of all, let's just address the elephant in the room right off the bat because listeners to this podcast are gonna want to know what we think of you know John Wilner, he was somebody who also had an advanced screening of this and he he basically just came out and said he doesn't see uh, Sean Miller ever coaching another game for the University of Arizona. And that's got University of Arizona fans who don't even like Sean Miller. That's got them all all, all up in uh, um, arms because they want to believe that this entire um, 
investigation from the get-go, especially some of the media coverage of it, has just been a giant sham. So even though they would be fine with Sean Miller moving on, they don't want it to be for this reason because they don't want to be wrong and without a coach, right? How like, do you fire Sean Miller? So okay, I, I have been you. on the thank Sean you. Miller thank is you. overrated train and is not getting the, the results. But I'm with you. I'm how with do you, you fire 100%. him when, when, when Will Wade isn't fired? Uh, when there are other coaches on tape that haven't yeah. come out that they've suppressed, nobody's getting in trouble for this except for low level people. And it's over. It is literally yeah. over. Like nobody else is getting fired. There's no smoking gun coming out because everything is suppressed. Somebody yeah. stop this. I do not. I, I 100% do not see Sean Miller getting fired after after watching this, could there be a mutual parting of ways just over the frustration of, you know, uh, the building frustration of the fan base in Tucson and the fact that they keep underachieving with absolute mega levels of talent and the fact that he his 10 year assistant did, you know, jail time and maybe he just needs a reset. I think his son uh, is set to graduate from his youngest son is set to graduate from high school in Tucson this year. So, you know, some of his ties to the to the area um, are going to lessen. I could see them coming together and having a mutual parting of ways. But I, there's no way I see University of Arizona coming out and saying based on based on the fact that it's pretty obvious that Sean Miller lied about his level of contact and his relationship with. Uh, with, with Christian Dawkins when he was addressing the media and not being forthcoming and the fact that he talks like a, like he looks, you know, he looks like a prohibition gangster and he talks like one too. I don't think those will be reasons to to dump him, especially if LSU is not going to do anything with Will Wade. Cause if anybody's guilty, it's that Yo, dude. That boy dirty as, oh man. <laughs> oh my Lord. Um, so, but we have a treat for you guys. We have a treat for, for you guys. Um, before we get into all the discussion about it, um, we, I was able to interview Pat Condolis earlier. He's the director who directed the film and you guys can hear what he had to say. He had a lot because there's so much stuff that was left on the cutting room floor and he was able to talk about that. So Listen in to him, and then we'll come back and we will discuss all of it. First, Pat, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for taking time. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, is the safe? Is the family safe, healthy, whole? Everything during this Corona scare? We're, we're all going a little insane, but you know, health and safety wise, we're all good. So no complaints. Yeah. So I got a chance to watch the entire the the uh, scheme. And as a person who is connected to the Pac-12, connected to the media, I've heard all sorts of things. And it looked very damning from the beginning once you heard the uh, the the Arizona coach, Coach, coach Miller, and you heard the LSU mm -hmm. coach on tape. And you thought I thought that this was going to be a huge, huge thing. And it turned out to be just a few minor level people that ended up going to jail. What was your takeaway overall from the whole process of doing this film well it was a, it was such an unbelievable story and to your point like you said in the intro you know i this i heard about this like everybody else did when the press conference was announced by the southern district in new york saying look this is a three-year undercover fbi investigation uh there was wiretaps 
they they arrested a, a an executive for Adidas. So you got billion dollar global you know uh, shoe companies involved in this. So I remember you know talking with my editor actually about about that story right when it broke, thinking okay this is going to change the landscape of college athletics. I mean they're going to take down big name coaches. You know Patino's name was thrown out there right right from the get go, and then just nothing happened. Yep. And so the story just kind of went away. Um, And I was not really familiar with Christian um, until HBO, uh, uh, you know, kind of brought this to me and said, hey, would you be interested in doing something like this? And then I read, I think, about every article that had been written about Christian. um, And him and I got on the phone. And then I, I flew out to where he was and spent three days with him just talking. And I found him to be such a fascinating, dynamic, complex, intelligent, uh, um, hilarious individual. Uh, and there was clearly so much more to the story um, that I was like, you know, I really, really have to tell the story. And, you know, it was a roller coaster ride making this because we, we started making it in between the first and second federal trial. So all of this stuff was, was unfolding while we were shooting. Um, and, and the story kept evolving as new information came out, new evidence came to light. Uh, and from my perspective, this was just a much, much bigger story than just a sports story and just a Christian Dawkins story. Yeah. So Christians specifically who does a lot of the narration, how credible, how believable was, was he and how forthcoming did you feel like he was in the production process? He was, I found him to be very credible. And the reason I say that is, you know, we, there's, we have the FBI wiretaps. Yep. So we could corroborate almost everything that he said uh, in the interview uh, because we could listen to him in real time, not knowing that he's being recorded. So you can hear, and that's the interesting thing about this is, is rarely do you get a chance to tell a story and put the audience in the room on the phone pull back the curtain, right? This is kind of a fly yeah. on the wall experience for the audience where you get to hear the, the, the kind of unvarnished, the raw truth of what's happening here because none of these people know they're being recorded, whether it's the, the wiretap calls or the undercover FBI video where you watch some, some things happen. They don't know they're being recorded. So you get to hear the thought process and you get to hear what he's saying. So when Christian answers a question in the interview with me, the vast majority of that, 90 to 95% of it, I would say, we could corroborate with, with uh, evidence that was, that was gathered for this whole investigation. So I found Christian to be incredibly credible, uh, um, but he did stop short on a few different topics. He, didn't, he, didn't, uh, he was not the most forthcoming on a couple of things. And the, the biggest those, disagreement him and I... What are those yeah, topics? Yeah, I, I think the biggest, yeah, the biggest disagreement him and I had was regarding Rick Pitino. Uh, because I just cannot believe that Rick Pitino did not know what was going on. You yeah. Know, I just, I, re- yeah. I refuse to believe that. Well, so, um, so my question about that is, is that, do you think that that fell in line with the fact that he would not rat out any coaches? I mean, he was yeah, pretty that adamant was- that he wasn't, that he was going to stand up and not try to tear down everybody in their career. Yeah, exactly. That was the thing. Yeah, he didn't want to be a rat. Um, and and I think he avoided that as much as possible. And I think 
I think his position, he, he became more and more eager, I think, to have his perspective included and to be more, uh, I think, uh, um, I, I think less guarded about everything as the situation evolved and, and the fluidity of the trial. And yeah, I think by the end of it, when he's the guy that goes down and gets an 18 month prison sentence, you know, longer than anybody else, I think all of that kind of changed his perspective a little bit. And he was more, more willing to be a little bit more open with some of that stuff where he wasn't before just, just as a, as a point to say, listen, like I'm the fall guy here, but th- th- this is not an accurate depiction of what was going on. Oh, that's um, exactly. Christian... No, go on. No, I was going to say, but Christian was defiant in saying that Patino didn't know anything and that he did not believe that Patino had direct knowledge. And I will say, I mean, we couldn't find any evidence that said that Patino did have direct knowledge. Um, the feds didn't have it, obviously. Uh, um, and he was never even, I think, gotten close to, to uh, uh, being charged unless Christian would have decided to, to give them information. And I think Christian has that information. I think he just wasn't willing to share it. But but why? Like, there was no advantage for him sharing it aside from, you, you know, yes, he could have got off some some more time, but he 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 seems like a guy who's about helping players and doing and and really taking advantage of a capitalistic system that seems broken mm-hmm. when it comes to college athletics. But the question for you is, Pat, who is the bad guy here? Like like who is the bad guy in this situation? <laughs> because it doesn't seem like it's Christian Dawkins. I agree with you. And I think that's a great question. I think that's a question that we wanted. We wanted the audience to ask themselves that when they watched the documentary. Uh, the other question we wanted them to ask is, is who's the victim here? Right. For a crime to be committed by definition, there's got to be a victim. Yes. Uh, and, and so when the, the Southern District proposed that it was these universities were victimized by this, it was a it was such a laughable, absurd uh, um, proposition for people to, to, to accept. Um, and, and it was really interesting to sit there and I went to the, the sentencing of the first federal trial. Um, and then every day for the second trial, I was there. And it was this weird, like uh, uh, unspoken arrangement between everybody that walked from the hallway into the courtroom that it was like, okay, everybody's going to pretend like reality is, is doesn't exist. Right. And we're going to, we're going to act like we're all uh, living in an alternate universe within this courtroom here, you know, cause it was unbelievable. The narrative that was being pitched to a jury and judges and, and the fact that people weren't kind of laughing out loud in the courtroom was shocking to me. Yeah. It's a victimless crime. So if, if, if Christian Dawkins actually paid the players, okay, who mm-hmm. is, who is harmed in that? And then if the and then the colleges, they get the players and they go to win games. Who is the? I, I can't still figure out as a former college athlete, former professional athlete, as a as a thinker, a person who reads books. I cannot figure out who is harmed by this. Right. And, and what the so with the, the narrative that the Southern District of New York uh, uh, came up with was that the universities were the victims they were harmed by this because these athletes uh, uh, were no longer eligible for amateur status if they had had been given money or or any sort of inducements, right? So by the time they went in there, then they considered that fraud. 
So they're defrauding the university. You're defrauding them out of the value of the scholarship, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's an unbelievably You could just insane... give it to somebody else. I mean, you could give it to somebody else, but then that leads to a million different questions, right? So that if, uh, I think what, you know, what Dan Wetzel says, his example in the doc is, is I think perfect where, you know, so the, the, the top quarterback, right, of the team, he goes into the pizza shop and he gets a free slice of pizza. You've just made him ineligible under NCAA rules, right? So have you then just defrauded a massive university and under the Southern District's uh, definition, you committed multiple fel uh, federal felonies. Yeah, and that's what that, this precedent is saying. Well, that's where I hate the way the NCAA is set up, which you kind of blew the lid off with this with with the scheme is that is that Dan Wetzel actually uh, reiterated it too, which he said, if Google or Amazon came into a high school and said, we're going to pay interns 20K to come out, teach them in hopes that they'll come to come work for them later that there would be nothing illegal with that. They would actually applaud that. But then when it comes to college basketball, and this is where the race factor comes in, because Christian brought it up too. Yeah. If these weren't mainly young urban black kids, would this even be an issue? Right, right. Yeah, his point is, I think he makes a very strong point in that, look, if, if the whole system with the NCAA in general and, and using basketball as an example, if all the players were white, and all the head coaches that are making millions of dollars a year and the ADs and, and you know, everybody running the, the schools and the institutions were all black. His point was there's no way that this would be happening. Yeah. It, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be yeah, happening. Yeah. Nobody would tolerate that billions of dollars are being made every year and none of that money is going to the players. From it's from, a very, very interesting, compelling from, point. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, yeah. Just, it's a point that people don't really necessarily want to recognize because it might cause them to, uh, to, uh, to be honest about some uncomfortable truths. But a guy that was yeah. talked about a lot in the, in your, in the uh, scheme, which is actually released uh, Tuesday at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern time on, on HBO, was Marty Blazer. And I actually yeah. met... I met Marty Blazer because Did you really? Yes, because he so I played I came out and was drafted with a guy named Rasheen Mathis. And okay. and Marty Blazer was Rasheen Mathis's uh financial advisor. And okay. Marty lived in Atlanta, I believe. And um Okay. And so uh, Rasheen used to always say, yeah, dude, Marty's doing all these great things, great things, blah, blah, blah. And then I met him a couple of times. I thought about moving my money over there where in the doc, it didn't really, well, when it didn't necessarily show that Marty was really big in the football world. Like he had a lot yeah, of NFL exactly. clients. And yeah, yeah. so those were the people that he mainly defrauded. And he, and just the fact that he stole all these millions and then, like this is how this whole investigation started was Marty trying to get out of jail. And ultimately yeah. he got out of jail for sending Christian Dawkins and some low level people to jail. Like it just didn't make sense to me. Con concocting a ridiculous scenario that really these guys, you know, discuss on wiretaps time and time again, again, not knowing that they're being recorded that they don't want to do. Yep. But the whole business model that that was kind of created by the FBI that was initiated by Marty Blazer was ridiculous. And it makes sense because 
you know, I listened to Marty Blazer testify. I think he testified for five days in the second trial. And sitting there, he it was very, very clear he knew nothing about how the basketball world worked. Yeah, clearly. So, at all. so did it, it felt the the wiretaps listening to the wire wiretaps? I thought you did a great job d- displaying like what people knew and how many times Christian Dawkins tried to tell them, "I don't want to do this. This is not the way right. it works." And it almost felt like entrapment because they tried to get something that he wasn't even willing to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it was, you know, that, that was a big question I had early on looking at everything. And Christian's lawyer, I think, came up with the best explanation of it was that it's, it's, you can't call it entrapment because the point is they would say that this is something that you would have to prove that this was behavior that he had not otherwise been likely to, to participate in. Right. And because Christian had paid people before, they couldn't necessarily make that argument. But I mean, it's I, I, I would assume that any any objective person watching it would say this is as close to coming to entrapment as you could possibly get. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. Um, I, I want to talk real quick about the two college coaches that were well, well, three. We already covered Rick Patino, who in, who ultimately ended yeah. up getting fired. But uh, Sean, Sean Miller at Arizona and Will Wade at LSU, who are clearly on wiretaps talking about this. And, but other coaches were on wiretaps too. But why, why do you think that the federal government kept, you know, like um, kept saying no to the subpoenas for the wiretaps in the trials? Why, like, why do you think that, that the government wanted this hush? kibosh so badly that's the biggest question of this entire thing for me when when we started digging in and we got all of the the evidence that was collected and that was presented in discovery um publicly in these trials that we could break it down and listen to all of that and look at it it was very very clear putting everything together was like wait a second what this changed Right. The, the trajectory of this entire investigation from the very beginning was taking down major D1 coaches, potential Hall of Fame coaches. That was the whole point. That's why they spent three years and millions of dollars of taxpayers money to do this. They were going to take down huge name coaches. And then not only did they not do that, but at a certain point in the investigation, they do a 180. And they go away from their intended objective of taking them down to protecting them ultimately. So we knew that there was wiretaps of multiple coaches. And there's three that we put into the doc that are, uh, from my understanding, is they're technically under seal. They've never been played in, co- in a courtroom publicly. They've never been played anywhere publicly that I, as far as I know. Uh, and we had multiple sources that gave us those. I've been told there's a lot more with, with those coaches and with other coaches. I I haven't been able to corroborate the number and exactly what is being said on them. But the reason that I wanted those calls in there was not to necessarily be salacious regarding those coaches, but it was to show they had evidence. And I think objectively strong evidence against these coaches. And not only did they not charge them, but they protected them. They, they denied uh, those being played publicly they blocked subpoenas to get these coaches to come into the courtroom and testify. And I mean, what was going to happen if they walked in and testified, it wasn't going to be Christian Dawkins attorneys 
trying to get these coaches in trouble. It was going to, they were going to ask him, Hey, did Christian Dawkins ever bribe you? Right? Like that was going to be the whole point. But the fact that they wouldn't even let them step foot in the courtroom after three years of trying to put them in the courtroom and put them in jail, um, didn't make any sense to me. And I still don't know why that was the case, but that became the biggest, most intriguing question I think in this entire thing. Well, was that, why why did this change? That was a decree from yeah. from from on high, <laughs> and yeah. I, I I wonder though, I wonder though like how much that this name, image, and likeness because because this the what, what Christian Dawkins was doing, paying the uh, players or using his influence to help them go to certain schools, then sign them later with the agent Andy Miller and you know other sit, situations. I just found it. I just looked at the tie-in with the name, image, and likeness legis- legislation, which that would clearly fall mm-hmm. fall under. And I'm just wondering, what do you think about the name, image, likeness legislation as it relates to these trials where the um, where the subpoenas for the coaches weren't allowed? Like, do you think that any of this is tied in behind the scenes? I don't know if it is. I, don't, I mean, somebody stopped it. There's no two ways about that. Somebody stopped it and, and completely shifted the, the direction of the investigation and the, the direction of the prosecution, clearly, very, very clearly. And that was, again, like that is the point that we, that is why we put those calls in there is to show, look, they have evidence. They, they have lots of wiretaps of Christian Dawkins talking specifically about money and, and paying players and, and, so the, it, it was so strange to me that that changed. And then magically the calls are placed under seal. The NCAA supposedly is not allowed to get them, even though I, I don't believe for a second they actually yeah, right. want to hear any of that. And they, yeah. and they certainly don't want it to come out. But clearly somebody, and Christian says in the doc, it's a cover-up. And I, it's hard to argue that point because you just don't know what happened. And people are preventing that information from getting out. And they're preventing that question from really being answered. In, in any sort of detailed way. Um, so I, I just don't know why they did it, but I think that that question um, probably looms largest over this entire thing. There's plenty of other questions that come up, in, yeah. you know, after, after you get the context and you can see exactly what happened and how this unfolded. I think it, we answer a lot of questions in the doc, but I think at the end of it, we, we probably ask uh, a couple of really big questions that we just can't answer. Yes. And so I have two questions of, about that, which is two of the questions that I were left with, which was a point that you guys made in the doc, was that uh, where Jim Gatto and Merrill Code from Adidas both got uh, prison, uh, they, they both were charged and convicted. But mm-hmm. I just thought, and then Adidas is, a, is in bed with uh, L- Louisville. And so are these yeah. other schools that have these huge contracts. And like, and that's where I always say, who do you work for? Because right. does, does LeBron James work for the NBA or does he work for Nike? Right. He works for Nike. Right. <laughs> and, right. And, and, and so there was one name that was not brought up in the documentary that I wondered why or why not, which is Nike. The name Nike as yeah. it related to uh, this, because I know that in, the, I believe, the uh, second trial, that there was some talk about it. Then you have Michael Avenatti, the lawyer, trying to extort Nike. Like, what happened with Nike? Why was it necessarily excluded from it, even uh, 
uh, excluded from the documentary as much as Adidas was, or is it just because Jim Gatto and, and co got uh, prison sentences? It was because there was more evidence that was di directly connected to Christian in those cases that we could access with Adidas. Um, the Nike thing was, it was brought up, I think in the second trial, just in relation to Zion Williamson and some alleged offers that, that were made uh, for his family. But um, there wasn't much that came up in these first two trials regarding Nike with Christian. Now the Avenatti thing, the, the, the crazy irony of this is, right, like they go after Jim Gatto, they sentence him to nine months in prison for, for basically giving a kid a scholarship so that he goes to a school that Adidas is already sponsoring. Uh, uh, in any other situation, that's a great deal for everybody, but in this particular situation, the federal government thought that was a felony. Um, but in the Avenatti case, Nike, they, they pretty much openly admit to all of the same things that the Southern District just went after Adidas for. So there's clearly in my mind, like there's selective prosecution across the board in this thing. And I mean, uh, whether it's Nike and Adidas and, and one being charged and they're not being charged, or if it's look at the way that the coaches are treated and protected, right? You have Will Wade and Sean Miller, who, who uh, uh, the Southern District fights to prevent them from stepping foot into the courtroom and blocks those, coach, those uh, calls from coming out publicly, yet they destroy Christian Dawkins publicly, right? there's clearly a difference in treatment between somebody like Christian Dawkins and Sean Miller and Will Wade. You can point to race, you can point to resources, you can point to power, whatever it is. You cannot tell me with a straight face that those guys are being treated equally no. uh, in the eyes of the criminal justice system. No, I, I looked at this and as a person who's around sports and has a son who's an eighth grader, know a lot of the top kids around because my, my son goes to Sierra Canyon. And okay. So, and you know who's, who's up there. And so right, I, right. and being around the college, I'm sorry, the recruiting game for uh, football, basketball, baseball, being around it, I can tell you for sure that nothing has changed. That nothing has right. changed. That this right. child didn't stop anything. It didn't change it. I, I just hope that the name image likeness stuff comes, uh, comes up by. Uh, well, it, that it comes through correctly and that the states don't let this just pass. But, the, but, uh, but Pat, I want to thank you for your time today, but I do have one more question. And it, it's about yeah. Christian Dawkins. And I looked at it, and this dude has done a lot. And I looked, he's 25. Yeah. He's 25 years yeah. old. He looks like the Doogie Hauser of sports. <laughs> <laughs> he was getting That's a good way of putting it. He was getting coaches to pay him 600 bucks, I think, when he was 12 years old. Like, this kid is a savant. And, he is. And, like, I'm like, he's not a criminal ma mastermind. He's Bill Gates. Like, he has that type of potential. The, that's what I thought. What was your take on him personally, his intelligence, and his future, whether it's in music, signing the deal with Atlantic Records and all of that? Christian is a, he is a one of a kind uh, character, a very, very unique individual, a very, very intelligent individual. Um, he is very, very mature for his age. He is unbelievably funny, self-deprecating. Um, but, but I think, you know, one of the, the best qualities I think of Christian and, and looking at him within this context of, of the sports world and the recruiting and agent world and all of that, 
where greed is always there and normally people are stepping on other people's heads to get ahead themselves. We never found any evidence of Christian doing that. In fact, it was always him making a move or making a deal that benefited everybody so everybody could win. And there was something admirable, I think, within the, again, the world of, of sports um, that he was doing that over time and time again. And you can hear him here, like, you know, my investors, they, they want to pay you here. I'm just trying to get some money in your pocket. You've helped me out. I'm going to help you out. You know, it was a very uh, uh, interesting to, to learn that about him. Uh, and especially at such a young age, the, the connections that he had, had forged, the relationships that he had. He's a very, very impressive individual. And I think he's, uh, he's going to be wildly successful in his, in his life. I think the, the question that people would have is how in the hell was he able to forge these re relationships that people pay millions and millions of dollars to get? Like, how was he able to, like, uh, you, you saw in the documentary, Fred Van Fleet talk about how much he trusts him. Like, guys that I've asked about, they like this dude still. They don't believe he's a crook. They don't believe he's a criminal. They think he's a good guy. Like, they would trust him to manage them now but it's but he's persona non grata in the basketball world it's funny you bring up fred van Lee. like for, so fred fred has his own like clothing line and his slogan is bet on yourself he got that from christian the night of the draft christian was saying hey there's some offers but they want you to go to the d league i don't think you should do it i think you should wait we can do this bet on yourself and like that stuck with him to the point that that's become his own mantra that a 22-year-old kid said to him on the phone who was acting as his agent, even though the 22-year-old kid had never taken the license and never passed the exam to become an agent, he's the one doing all of these deals at 22. Dude, he's, and, he's like and, the lawyer in suits. <laughs> he's, he's really impressive, but I think, I think what, what helps him be so successful, to your point, is that he, he understands how to read people and he figures out a way very quickly that to uh, so that they can benefit while he benefits as well, so that everybody wins. And that's a that's a pretty important commodity to have in business. Yeah, and he's involved in in music now. Do you? I I feel like he belongs in sports. Do you think that there's any path for him to get back into the sports world? And if so, when and how? If there is a path, Christian will find it. <laughs> if there's if there's a way to make something happen, he will find that way. No doubt about it. Did did you guys suffer any lawsuits and like people trying to like what what were some of the obstacles they were trying to stop you, I should say? Not yet. I mean the big the biggest thing that we had was just nobody would talk. You know, that's why we only have, I don't know, there's six or seven people I think interviewed total in the doc, which is probably the smallest number of subjects that I've ever interviewed for something like this. Um, nobody would talk, um, you know, there's lots of different reasons for that, but that was, that was surprising. I mean, it's always difficult to get people to sit down in front of a camera and give their perspective and their side of a story, especially something like this, that was, you know, kind of a traumatic experience for so many people, but oh, it yeah. was very, very difficult to get people to talk. Yeah. Well, well, because when you, when you do talk, you essentially exile yourself if you are snitching on other people. Like I remember, exactly. uh, a number of years ago when they were talking about college, uh, they were talking about college athletes being paid, particularly in football. Uh, I think somebody called me. It might it might have been an HBO Real Sports story or something. They called me and they asked me about Oregon. They were like, George, he knows where the bodies are buried. 
this and that. Right. He may have been a part of this because there were some things that happened at school that probably lend, lended itself to that possibly being, being yeah. true. And I was just like, you got the wrong guy. I was like, if you're, <laughs> if, if you're expecting to call me, who still goes up to Oregon, gets gets favors, is treated very well, got put in the Hall of Fame. Like, if you, and is doing well, if you think that I'm the guy to talk to, you have found, and, and who will take down the Oregon program, who which I love right. with, with every ounce of my being, that, no, sorry. You, you, you might as well never call me again about this because I will not be that guy. So I know nothing. Yeah, I I actually, and 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 yeah. that were if and that were if I did know anything, which I don't. Yeah, there was a lot of that. I mean, there was a there was a lot of the same stuff, and I and I get that. You know, we didn't want to. Our point too in this, we didn't want to be trying to take down as many people as we could either. You know, because I, I personally, I think the players should be getting getting paid. They should be able to make money off their their image and likeness, and you know, test out the the free market with that. Um, so we didn't want to, we didn't want to, even the coaches, I'm like, you know, I don't really have a problem with what they did. My problem is that there's actually evidence that was collected in this case. And then it was, it was basically brushed under the rug. And yeah. I, I think that's wildly unfair. Yep. There is a free market right. for, for ventilators right, right now, but there's not a free market for college, <laughs> for college basketball players. Get out of here, dude. Uh, Pat, exactly. Pat, thanks again. I, I appreciate it. I look forward to all the stuff that you, that you do and put out and we'll be following you and super excited about this. Thank you so much, George. It was a pleasure talking to you. Have all a right. good one. Okay. You too. Goodbye. Take care. Bye-bye. Ralph, this whole thing started because of one guy. In, in an unrelated case, that's Marty Blazer, the financial guy who I knew. I knew Marty Blazer because he was one of my former teammates in Jacksonville who I got drafted with, who I trained with before I drafted. He was Marty Blazer's client. Marty Blazer uh, was not an NBA guy, really. He was more in the NFL space of managing guys' money. And he stole money to make a Ving Rhames movie that sucked. And then he was trying to use a get out of jail free card to say he knew some corruption going on in college basketball. And that's how this whole thing started, because Marty Blazer was getting ready to go to jail. So after hearing the director talk, Ralph, uh, Pat talk, after hearing after watching the scheme, who is the bad guy? OK, well, first of all, Marty Blazer sucks, right? That dude, that dude is the worst. I think that I Christian Dawkins probably put it best. Um, and and that dude, we'll get into Christian Dawkins and his dry sense of humor um, in a little bit. But Marty Blazer stole from black men and got away with it because he put other black men in jail. That is... that's That was my takeaway. This guy is a cancer. He is he the absolute ass whoop is what he need and and a oh. twenty year jail sentence. Absolutely, and he and and he ended up only getting probation back in February, right? He so he is not going to do any jail time, and he for stole stealing millions, millions of dollars, right? And people who gave money away gave money away ended up doing jail time. So people who gave money away did jail time and somebody who stole millions 
stole millions. Um, I, I, I will. I, it does sound to me like maybe you saw that Ving Rhames movie. No, Did you, okay. No, I just, I, I, I was like, when they said he funded a movie, I was like, oh, okay. Then I saw Ving Rhames. I was like, this movie's terrible. Okay, I, was like, so, I can tell from the trailer it sucks. Here's my biggest fear because Marty Blazer is the worst. Marty Blazer might end up making money off this documentary because I am, I cannot wait to go watch that movie. It looks oh, yeah. so bad. <laughs> and I'm like, man, am I putting money in Marty Blazer's pocket by seeking this out? So hopefully I can find a way to illegally download it, allegedly. And, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I want to see it. It I, looks I, like I like that. I do. I do want to see it, but I don't want to put a dollar <laughs> in that crook's pocket. You're gonna have to call up some friends and be like, "Man, they stole your money for this, right?" Uh, <laughs> Dude. Um. So, what was your takeaway of Christian Dawkins? I I love the guy. Honestly, like, um, they he has he's definitely paid a heavy price. Um, for uh, the rapidness of his ascension, but I I like him. I like the um man that that kid is all American, right? Yes, he's like, the definition of oof. the American dream. All American, like this dude is going to be, if not a billionaire, a extremely successful person. He's twenty five. He He's 25. He could be president. He could be president because there's no rules anymore about who can be president. So he he could be president. Like this dude is the and he what did he say? He's on the level of of Malcolm X and Gandhi and and Martin Luther King and Dick Clark. And his mom's like reading that list off and she's laughing about it. And I was like, maybe, maybe he might be. <laughs> right. This dude At had. This yes, you're, I know what you're going to bring up. He had coaches paying him 600 bucks at age 12, and then he but he was still doing 12 year old stuff. Like he ranked himself on his website as the number one player. Dude, his <laughs> his mom he had checks showing up at the house, and his mom was like, "What is this for?" He was like, "Oh, oh, that's for my business." She's like, "What business?" Dude, I wish my kid would have checks showing showing up. I'd be like, "Hold on, kid. Whatever you're doing, let's figure out how we can do this better." Because I, I'm not gonna step in your way because you have clearly got something figured out. As long as it's not illegal, we're good. Right. And in in America, there's a lot of stuff that you can do to make money. And if the rules are murky, right? If the rules are murky, then you just sort of you you go through, you forge your own path. And then you end up being the one who takes the hit if if people try to make new rules or something like that. I mean, this is the week where everyone in America, if they have Netflix, is binging Tiger King. Like, and and we're and we're talking about Christian Dawkins on that level of of like uh, of just entrepreneurial spirit. But in Tiger King, people got killed, people got disappeared. You know, uh, hitmen were hired, drugs were used. All Christian Dawkins did was try to make sure that kids were fairly compensated for their talents while using his entrepreneurial spirit to 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 benefit himself and others in the process. Like I, I if you're going to be somebody who um who participates that fervently in capitalism that you're willing to step over some lines, 
I mean, why not be a Robin Hood in the process? And then that's that's how I viewed him. Who Even, is the victim? Like that oh, yeah. that's the part I could not <laughs> I still can't wrap myself around it. Who is the victim? What did Christian Dawkins do? Because if Google uh, uh Dan Wetzel said it best in the documentary, who if Google or Amazon went to a high school and said, Look, we're gonna give you 20k to come out, be an intern in hopes that we can hire you again later after you get out of school, everybody would applaud it. And then if they did it for free, they'd be like, yo, that's a bad deal. And, but then when it comes to young black men going to college and people making billions of dollars off of their name, image, and likeness, all of a sudden it's a problem. It's a crime. Like, like Chris, everybody who, the Fred Van Fleet. Even, I've talked to other NBA players. I called them today and was like, "Yo, what 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 do you know about Christian Dawkins?" They're like, "Oh man, I like that dude. He's good. He's trustworthy. Good, clean dude." Like, and I'm just sitting there like, "Okay, if these dudes still trust him despite everything that everybody else has said, and everybody regards him as a good human being, and that he hasn't like tried to get over on anybody, he was just trying to make sure everybody got something." I, where's the victim, Ralph? That that's the amazing part. Is so f- in order for the FBI to make their case, they needed someone to uh, pin the tort on, like the harm, right? So they had to assign the harm for Adidas trying to guide an athlete to a school that they are already paying $160 million (laughs) to by footing the bill for $100,000 to get that kid to that school. To get Brian Brian Bowen. Yeah. So the FBI had to say that in the relationship of a school receiving both $160 million and a player who they paid $100,000 to in order to go to that school to enhance that school's brand, the school is ultimately the victim. Oh! <laughs> and that that's was like... comedy. Yeah, that's like... I mean, that that that's amazing to me. That is amazing to me. That's like saying, like, my dad's business, my dad pays payroll taxes just to be able to pay the people on his staff. And then when you get that pay from him, you also pay an income tax. So the government gets paid twice. That would be like saying the government is the victim in that relationship. Yep. And we know the government ain't nobody's victim, buddy. Right. And so how about the FBI, man? What? A, and I, I feel stupid for tweeting this today because that's not going to do me any good. But good Lord, was this an inept, overzealous, corny FBI investigation? Oh, Lord, yes. Just terrible. Like, the FBI came in completely unprepared for what it was that they were trying to pursue. They had an idea of what the crimes would be and would look like. And when they found their patsy to carry out Um, the elements of the investigation that they would need in order to bust a whole bunch of people, the person that they found, Christian Dawkins, repeatedly tried to tell them none of the things that you're angling for make any sense. And so then at some point, Christian Dawkins, in an attempt to protect the FBI from themselves, 
not knowing that they were the FBI, starts keeping the money so that the FBI can recoup their investment in his business. He's trying to be financially responsible on the part of the FBI. That's how stupid that they were being. And then, and then, and we don't know because the FBI didn't participate in the documentary and won't produce any records. The guy that was the undercover agent that they were running everything through his main investor probably stole some of that cash. Yes. And got fired and or prosecuted. I'm like, what are you doing? Like Christian Dawkins is on tape saying, this is a bad idea. This doesn't make sense. Why are you trying to do this? The coaches don't want to meet you. They don't want to see you. They, this is not a good business model. Coaches are making millions, giving them an extra five or 10 grand. That's stupid. Like they're not going to take it and they don't want it. And like they tried to, the FBI tried to invent a crime invent a they tried to in like it, it's it's almost like bad detectives what did what what do they say bad detectives and bad investigators do they come up with the the uh the the resolution first and then try to find their way back to the the clues but in investigation work you are supposed to let the clues and the evidence take you to the solution instead of the other way around and they came up with the solution first and then wanted to backtrack to the problem. What? It, it, it's insane, Ralph. I, I, and, the, and you are right. The FBI looked like assholes. They looked like idiots. And the fact that the FBI has participated so freely in the McMillions thing because they look great and they did the great, great job. Yes. So they clearly participated in it. Yeah. Great point. Great point. They were super enthusiastic to star, uh, to co-star in HBO's McMillions that came out about a month and a half ago, but they declined to participate in HBO's The Scheme, which comes out today. And that just goes to show you, I think, probably how they think of the way that, <laughs> that they conducted this investigation because they refuse the subpoenas so they don't end up testifying in court they never reveal what happens to uh uh was it d'angelo the original uh undercover agent yeah um who was supposedly the the nightclub owner and investor they end up spending an ungodly amount of money of taxpayer funds in order to trick christian dawkins into participating in this scheme uh, ultimately, to have Christian Dawkins go throw that money at at strippers in Vegas, <laughs> like, and then he was like, "I, I don't have any. I can't give yeah. it to 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 the coaches. So guess what? I'll just spend it then. Fine." And then Christian Dawkins hoards the cash in his own house, and then and he put it back it in. To, the, yeah, uses it to pay his lawyers <laughs> to defend him from the FBI case, and some of the money he actually put back into the business. Yeah. I'm just like, this is a stand-up guy. Like I would right. I would do <laughs> after all of this. So so Christian Dawkins first had the problem with the Uber thing, which made sense too. And I'm sitting here like after watching everything, after his 18-month prison sentence, all of this, I'm looking at this and I'm like, I would clearly do do business with Christian Dawkins. Clearly. Wouldn't think twice about it. Like this dude is like Doogie Hauser smart yeah. intelligent well like 
has your best interests in mind? Yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, I, that's why during the trial, he was going to go meet with Atlantic Records and they gave him his own. <laughs> he's going through a, a wire fraud. So he got sentenced. In, so he actually had two trials. He got sentenced to 12 months in one and six months in the other one for uh, conspiracy to commit wire fraud, wire fraud. Uh, like what? Like what are we talking about here? But what did you think about uh, the the one thing that uh, Pat talked about in the interview, which was interesting, is that Christian didn't snitch on anybody. No, he didn't snitch on anybody. Like yes, there was wire wiretaps, so he couldn't d- deny that. And the one person that got fired out of this whole thing was Rick Patino. And uh, but but that was a combination of strippers and. And, that and was pain, a genuine lack sex. of inst- institutional control. Like he yeah. had, he had absolutely no handle on what was going on. He barely ever has a handle on what's going on in his personal life. Like that was just that was time. Time was up for him. Really. Yeah. So what did and Christian Dawkins said that Rick Pitino did not know. Didn't anything like he and I was like, this dude's a stand up guy. He's not. He refused to snitch. He just took his medicine. Yeah, he. So not only did he take his medicine, like he he laughed about the fact that he got lied on by Sean Miller and and to a much more serious extent, Will Wade. Um, yeah, they, they said they didn't even know the dude, didn't yeah. even have any interactions with him. You're on tape still in boxes, bro. <laughs> yeah and, and and didn't get fired on their day off so like they yeah. you know they uh, i don't know man i i just i he came away a very sympathetic figure but then by the end you don't really have a lot of sympathy for christian dawkins because you realize like he doesn't need it he's a go-getter yeah. <laughs> he does he's he's gonna be just fine yeah um see that that's a good point there because a lot of times when you watch these documentaries and see stuff like this happen people's lives are usually ruined he had he had lived the life of a 60 year old successful business person by the time he was 20 22 right and i've i've investigated the aau basketball scene paying players shoe companies hanging around i've written stuff that has you know i i wrote an article that broke up marvin bagley and deandre ayton the number one and number two pick in the in the 2018 NBA draft. So I, I've been in this world. If somebody came to me with what Christian Dawkins was doing, not what the FBI made him do, but if somebody came to me with just what Christian Dawkins was doing in that moment, I wouldn't have even blinked. That's it's par still for the going court. on. Oh, absolutely. And it's going on in football. This is the funniest thing, is the the dude that ends up serving no jail time, Marty Blazer, ends up admitting in open court that for 14 years he paid football players at like seven different schools, including Notre Dame and University of Michigan and Northwestern and Pitt. Right? So yep. like he he came out and he said, like, oh, I've been doing this in football. Yet that fell on deaf ears, and no head coaches end up having to testify. In this trial, Book Richardson goes to jail and Sean Miller just acts gets to act like he didn't know the dude that he hung out with for 10 years. <laughs> and at the end of the day, he was just the, a low level campaign uh, guy. 
Right. And then and and then at the end of the day, the Southern District of New York, they come out and they have this press conference that says, Look, we have your playbook. Like they're gonna come out and they're gonna break up all of college basketball and change things forever. I am telling you right now, those people that work for the Southern District of New York in their district attorney's office that prosecute cases, they deserve nothing less than the absolute cruelest of scorn and laughter every single time they walk down the hallways of their own office. Like the way that people used to bully kids who definitely didn't deserve it in elementary school, you know, call them fatty, send them home crying, kick dirt in their, in their, in their eye, like that level of bullying. The coworkers of these people at the Southern District of New York that handled this case or the, the people who didn't handle this case should all be mocking and laughing at every single person who did every time they're around, because that's how embarrassing this documentary is for them. When they play back that press conference, it's like a George W. Bush mission accomplished thing. Oh, like yeah. You should never be able to live that down to come out, have a press conference and make it sound like you're going to change college basketball forever. And in the end, the only person that ends up doing any real time is the person that repeatedly tried to talk you out of this investigation, because even though he didn't know it was an investigation, he thought your plans were stupid. (laughs) That's the guy that you end up nailing on behalf of the FBI's botched investigation in which the person that was heading it up probably ended up possibly doing jail time himself. I I do I hope the internet finds that guy. Oh, I yeah. really do because Dude. he he deserves to be laughed at as well. What did you think about cuz I asked him about the fact that okay so Jim Jim Gatto and Meryl Code who were at Adidas, they ended yeah. up getting uh 9 months and 6 months as a process, as as a part of this. Um but I said okay Michael Avenatti and Nike didn't come up really. Well, not 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 really. They just didn't come up because he, Michael Avenatti uh, tried to uh, blackmail or uh, extort <laughs> Nike out of out of money. Yeah. Nike was brought up with their you know with, with their AAU system program because uh, Adidas has the grass grassroots and then. Um, Nike has the EYBL. Yeah. And so I and so I asked him and he was like, well, yeah, it's like uh in the Nike thing, like Nike in court and all this stuff. Well, everybody in court, they knew that they had been doing the same things that Adidas did, but it just like everything just got shut down. Like everything just got just kiboshed. Like it, like it was it was almost like like God came down and was like, no, you will not talk about this. You will not prosecute this. And everybody was just like, okay, cool. All right. All right. All right. Bye. Well, somebody's got to pay to keep our conviction rates up. There you go. Christian Dawkins. There you yeah. go. Gatto. There you go. Uh, Meryl, Meryl code. It was crazy. We, we got to get my guy, Zach Zoskin on the, on, on the podcast, because I, I've spent some time around some of these Adidas grassroots guys on the football side. Ryan Lacey, uh, Zach Soskin just left um, Adidas to actually like work in management 
um, for, for some athletes and, you know, they're out at the camps that we have as part of rivals. Like they're around these kids, very young age, getting to know them, getting to know what they like, trying to convince them to wear Adidas, sending them shoes, doing all the stuff that is, is above board and, and, and legal. But like their whole job is to form relationships with high school kids so that that kid can then go to college where they're supposedly untouchable, but hopefully they're at a school that Adidas is pumping uh, tens of millions of dollars into. And I think, was it, was it Dan Wetzel who said that like, if, if somebody's paying you $160 million, they're your boss. Yeah. So then you got them in this incubator. Right. Um, And I know that, you know, one, one uh, athlete that uh, Adidas ended up signing uh, was Christian Kirk, who was at an Adidas high school, went to uh, Texas A&M, which I believe was sponsored by Adidas at the time. I could be wrong yes. about that. Um, but then he ended up with signing with Adidas coming out of uh, uh, for the NFL draft. And so, you know, that that stuff is not very surprising, especially when they formed a relationship with you from when you're very young. But it is a really weird system in which you become sort of untouchable, except for that apparel company is allowed to donate directly to the program oh. while you're oh, yeah, in it. Yeah. Yeah, and then and remember when uh when when the Pump Brothers who I used to play for in high school, I think they were on Sports Illustrated or yeah, Sports Illustrated, the 50 most powerful people in sports. And people were like, "Who are these two dudes?" And they were they so they've been in business and all this stuff for a long time, especially in the in the basketball AAU circuit. And then you have and that, and then they essentially would be steering kids to colleges, and then those colleges would then allow them because they owned a ticket broker, uh, like a, a resale company. So then their company would be allowed to buy all, all, almost like season tickets from the schools, and the March Madness tickets and the bowl game tickets, all of this stuff, Get they would get the primo seats. And then they would be able to sell them so they would get an opportunity to buy them at face value and then they can mark them up and sell them. So so instead of taking huge payments, they would just, from, from schools, they just wanted the ticket inventory. The way then yeah. they could uh, then be able to buy it and then mark it up and sell it later. Does it is it weird to you at all that UCLA has the by far highest apparel contract? Like they even commented on what yeah. is Under Armour doing, dude? Well, uh, uh, Under Armour wanted to be with a huge brand, and I, I mean I don't know because dude, that's an extraordinarily big contract for a college, and you know, <sighs> and UCLA, UCLA still wasn't paying their bills. No, and, and people don't even, and, and truthfully, it's kids that don't go to colleges as we know based upon shoe contracts. Based upon shoe contracts because they don't want to wear certain shoes so they won't go to certain schools. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look at this whole Puma thing, right? Like, first of all, the thing that he said about, like, doing all the legwork and you could put $50,000 into a kid and they could turn around and sign with a, a mega agent who put no effort in that whole time and that's just the risk that you run. That reminded me of DeAndre Ayton uh, signing with Puma after going to a Nike school and having Nike sponsor uh, his high school 
before he went to a Nike college. Then he ends up signing that shoe deal with Puma. Well, now DeAndre Ayton has missed like six different stints of games with ankle injuries. And there are kids out there who look at that and say like, man, I would never wear that shoe. And so if Puma ends up getting a big time sponsorship deal with a, with a, you know, uh, a big college at some point, you'll have kids say like, I would never play at that college. And that's absurd, but that's just, that's how it goes. You know, that's, it's, it's really weird. Some of the things that factor into, you know, a kid making their decision. And you also have to realize every single one of these kids thinks they're going to the league. Every single one. Um, Oh yeah. And it it takes getting to the college level to ultimately end up getting humbled. And then some kids don't end up getting humbled. They end up saying like, Oh, it's the coach. You know, like LeVar always, yeah, LeVar Ball oh, always hating said, on me. Yeah, yeah like, the coach is hating on me. This, yeah, is, this and if that. you would, if if you, yeah. So it's, and then it's not, it's never a you problem. You never have to take accountability for anything. And why would you be in a position to even take accountability when you have people paying your family because they believe that you could ultimately end up being a star? You have all these people treating you like a king, and the second you start to act like it, everyone's like, oh, what a diva. (laughs) Well, yeah, (laughs) that's the way we're set up. We're pushing them in that direction. Yeah, and I am, for one, not like – I hope that this sort of thing – turn like trickles over into the name image likeness stuff and that this legislation gets passed like meaningful legislation so the kids these most of them young black kids coming from disadvantageous socioeconomic situations where they can get what is due to them and truthfully i i i just always look at it like you should be able to participate when you are in revenue generation. Yeah. And I, and, and the other part that is most important that I think is most crucial in the situation is everybody has a point in time in their life that they have the highest earning potential when they are the most popular, when they can capitalize on these things. Sometimes that's when you're Macaulay Calkin at home alone. Sometimes it's when you're, 60 years old, you have a windfall, you you know, you don't know when it's going to be. And sometimes that time for people is in college. Like imagine how much money Sabrina Ionescu could have, could have made or Remy Martin at ASU, or, you know, sometimes the volleyball or, or the girl that we talked about at Oregon, the assault. God dang. If, if we knew about LeVar Ball when he was at Washington state, I mean, give that man his own show back then. Yep. Yep. So, I hope that it trickles all down into that. Do, do, do you have anything else on, on the scheme besides telling people to watch it? Oh, please watch it. Please. It is, it, it's funny. It's, it's, it pulls at your heartstrings, things that you wouldn't expect, right? Like there are, the, uh, and, and then it, it'll piss you off a little bit too, which it, it is, is I think what any good uh, documentary does. And this is obviously a very, um, single-sided documentary that is pre- presented from the only perspective that was really truly available. Uh, but the nice thing about it is with so many things on the record, everything is corroborated. So you're actually able to trust the point of view and trust the source that this whole thing is driven through. And I would say that to a lot of the uh, Pac-12 fans out there that have felt like your program was embarrassed or you lost any sort of respect for any coach or assistant on your staff, I would say watch this, realize how widespread it is, and realize that guys like Tony Bland 
And Book Richardson really, at the end of the day, didn't do anything illegal. Um, and the government had to invent ways in which to bend the law in order to put them in a situation where their actions were illegal. And so, you know, that, that, that there are still rules being broken and whatever your moral assignment is that you assign to people based on those rules being broken, that's on you. And I understand it if you, if, or if you just, the rivalry is playing into it, right? Like ASU fans absolutely love that the cloud just sort of floats above, you know, Arizona. When that, when's that other shoe going to drop? You know, when's Sean Miller getting fired? They enjoy that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, these are, these are not, these are uh, not questions uh, of of morality, in my opinion, and they should never have been questions of legality. Uh, and I'm somebody who's on the other side of this who believes that players should be paid anyway. So I, I'm when I read Robin Hood, I understand Robin Hood to be the protagonist of Robin Hood. Right. Like as, as, and I do trend more conservatively politically. Um, I've still never reached a point in my life where I read Robin Hood and say like, Oh, thief, (laughs) put him in jail. Right. (laughs) You understand the, the conditions at the time and the context at the time. And the story of America is, is one of the people getting together and saying, Hey, no taxation without representation and, and rebelling. And when I see college basketball, I see a story that should be moving in that direction. Uh, and there should be some revolution in there to make sure that people are all getting theirs. Cause I think that's a very, um, American thing. And so, you know, for the people that did get punished legally, um, in this whole deal, I, I, I believe that, um, yeah, I think they were handed a raw deal and, yep. uh, and, and I, I, I don't have any ill will or ill feelings toward anybody involved in any of this. I think that the fault lies with the FBI in the Southern district of New York and Marty Blazer, Marty Blazer sucks. Yep. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, you guys, thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. We appreciate your time, appreciate your energy. Send us your comments in. We already got one in uh, about somebody saying, how could I d- defend a deadbeat like Christian Dawkins? <laughs> we will talk about that. Um, <laughs> Uh, send it in to I'm mad at unafraidshow.com or hit me and Ralph up on Twitter. We're going to live. We're going to live tweet during the uh, during the documentary airing. So it should be fun. Make sure you hit us up. Peace out. Catch you guys later. So-